In early 2018, Ifoma Azoma was on a work trip when she got a notification on her phone. It was an email from a recruiter at Pinterest who was reaching out about a job. And do you remember your first thought when you saw that? Mm, okay. <laughs> I think that's exactly what I thought. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, Why like that? Because I was working at Facebook and had worked at Google. Uh, I mean, there... And I, I don't know how to say this and not sound dismissive, but like working in tech, those are the companies that people want to work up to. Mm-hmm. And Ifoma had started at those big companies, which have way more resources than Pinterest. Really, she was at the top of her game. She was living in Silicon Valley and working at Facebook on their international public policy team, which she absolutely loved. She had no reason to leave. But, but, I will always entertain a conversation. So Ifoma got on the phone with the recruiter, who made a pretty compelling case. She'd basically get to build Pinterest's global public policy from the ground up, since initially it'd just be her and one other person on the team. That's huge. Coming from at Facebook, there are over probably 300, but 300 to 500, hundreds of people on the global public policy team. At Google, same thing. And she says they told her she'd essentially be a partner to her manager and share leadership responsibilities. Ifoma was intrigued. She went through with the interview and started salary negotiations. And I remember saying, like, I know you guys don't have as much as Facebook does, but I just want to make sure, like, I'm going to negotiate until I hit the very top of whatever is possible for this role. So understand that. <laughs> She wanted her salary to reflect not only her experience, but the contacts she was bringing. She eventually accepted the job. And even though the final offer wasn't exactly what she wanted, they told her, This is the best that we can do for this role. Not this is the best we can do for you as an individual. And that's important because of then what transpired over the next almost two years. I'm Rima Face, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. So the tech industry is notoriously dominated by white and Asian men. And even though for years it's promised to hire more diverse candidates and be more inclusive, not a lot has changed. This week, we've got the story of one Black woman's experience in tech and her fight for better pay. Plus, why it is so hard for Black workers in tech to get ahead. Ifoma was pumped to start working at Pinterest. I was excited. (laughs) Excited about the possibility, excited about uh, being in a role where even though it was less resourced, I would be able to manage so much. And within her first month there? I helped the company create the first misinformation-specific content policy in the industry among our peers. Basically, this policy is to help prevent the spread of misleading and false health information. It was a pretty big deal, and it earned Pinterest a lot of good press. I mean, I really just hit the ground running. She was working what felt like 24-7. She acted as a spokesperson for their health misinformation campaign. She worked with government officials on privacy and copyright concerns. She was glued to her phone, traveling constantly. And even though it was tiring, she was proud of her work. 
Incredibly so. And so at what point at what point did things go south? <sighs> south. I mean, I raised concerns to my manager in September of 2018. It was two months after she had started working. She was at her desk, scrolling through the company's internal employee website. She was looking for tax information, when instead she came across the company's organizational chart. She found her job role. And I remember seeing it and seeing what the level was and being like, huh, that, that does not sound right. Employees are assigned to different levels, which determines their pay. On this chart, Ifoma discovered she was slotted at a pretty low level. She was at the second to last rung. She immediately reached out to her manager. I emailed him and asked what was up with my level. There must be a corresponding chart. And he sent it to me. And when I read the description for my level, it's very junior, like incredibly junior, in fact. Meanwhile, her manager, who's a white man, was on the highest level, even though Ifoma says they were doing similar work. She says the difference in the pay packages is huge, especially because of the stock options. The difference between the level that I was brought in at and the level that I should have been brought in at is the difference in value between going on vacation and buying a house. Ifoma was confused, but she figured she just cleared up with her manager. I thought, well, this is going to be a really easy sell because it's not my word. I can pull from what reporters have written about my work, and I can pull from what you have written about my work and what the CEO has said about the work. And then we're just going to have a conversation about the timeline for fixing it. Right. And then that is what sparked a year and a half of pure hell. Ifoma brought it up with her manager at her performance review. And while she got a kind of standard performance-related raise— there was no change to her level. She was told that's the best they could do. It was dismissive at every turn. But I just, I wanted to still do a good job. Over the next several months, she kept pushing for a promotion. And meanwhile, she was leading the company's largest press cycle. She was flying to D.C. to meet with congressional offices. She independently represented Pinterest at summits with British officials. And she was leading the company's response to a federal investigation. It was a lot. Most of the work that you do in public policy is preventing bad things from happening. Rarely do you get to do the kind of proactive work that I was leading. But every day when Afoma would walk into work, she'd think... Just, like, what am I doing? Like, I felt at a certain point that not only were they disrespecting me, but I was disrespecting myself in staying there and continuing to fight for something that wasn't going to happen. And that was when I made the decision to hire outside counsel. Coming up after the break, Ifoma reaches her breaking point. It's easy to know you want to make a change in your life, but it is hard to actually do it. How to Be a Better Human from TED is a podcast for when self-help feels too daunting or maybe even unrealistic or just not for you. I'm Chris Duffy, the host of How to Be a Better Human, and trust me, I do not have it all figured out. But join me as I talk to experts about actually attainable ways we can try to improve our lives, whether it's facing fears, setting boundaries, cleaning your house without feeling like a failure, or all sorts of other topics. Find How to Be a Better Human wherever you get your podcasts. 
Last Day is a show about the moments that change us. I just don't think I will ever get used to this. I'm Stephanie Whittles-Wax, and I have had one of these moments. We all have. So let's unpack the chaos that is our human existence together. I don't believe things happen for a reason. I don't believe the universe has a plan. Each week, I sit down with a new guest to explore happy, sad stories of transformation. It's leaning far, far into the pain. That's what it is. Listen to Last Day wherever you get your podcasts. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. That's a pretty badass move to get an outside lawyer. I would like, yeah. I feel nervous <laughs> to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never been, I, I, the, our mom raised us not to be scared of anyone. She says growing up, her parents, who were Nigerian immigrants, always stressed the importance of persistence and hard work. I wasn't taught that things would be easy. In fact, I was taught that they would be hard and they would be hard, unfortunately, because of who I am. Like, no matter how smart you are, you present as who you are, a black woman. And so people are going to underestimate you, but you're going to show them through virtue of your hard work that you are smarter and better than they ever thought you were. Her attorney advocated for her to get slotted at a higher level and receive back pay. But Ifoma says the company's response went something like this. Well, actually, for the level that you're talking about, you don't have the years of experience for it. This is, that was brand new. That didn't make sense to Afoma because the chart, which I've looked at, doesn't take into account years of experience. To Afoma, her pay is a stark reminder of the wage gap in America and how stats show that Black women in particular are paid roughly 60 cents for every dollar a white man earns. Still, she knows people may hear her story and think of reasons for why her company refused to adjust her pay. Oh, maybe she wasn't qualified enough. Maybe she wasn't doing a good job. And so it was important to me when I shared my story, and now as I continue to share it, to point out, not because I think that credentials save anyone from racism, I know that as a Black woman, but... I went to Yale. I worked at Google. I worked at Facebook. I was doing all of this work that landed us on the front pages of You Name the Newspaper. I got incredible performance reviews, and this was still what happened to me. Ifoma eventually filed a complaint with California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing, but the company still didn't change her level. So about a month ago, after being at Pinterest for almost two years, I decided to leave. I was tired, and it was taking a toll on me physically through sleep and, like, not eating properly and uh, emotionally. Just I couldn't focus on the things that I wanted to focus on. And it wasn't just Afoma who quit. At the time, she was working on a three-person public policy team with her manager and another Black woman— That woman left the same day, and she also claims she wasn't paid fairly. A few days after they quit, George Floyd died after a white Minneapolis police officer kneeled on his neck for eight minutes. 
And all these companies, from Amazon and Target to Sephora and McDonald's, came out with statements to show solidarity with Black Lives Matter, including Pinterest. Ifoma remembers being at home, sitting in her kitchen. And a friend sent me a text saying, you won't believe this shit. I see the blacked out Pinterest logo. And I was like, oh, Lord, here we go. Pinterest shared a pretty standard corporate post supporting BLM. It said the company is going to elevate racial justice content on their platform and donate to advocacy groups. The thing that I focused on in it was that they believe that Black employees matter. And seeing that sentence, just I was seeing red as I was seeing the sentence because it, how could you say that when a few days before was the last day of the two-third, the Black two-thirds of your public policy team? And not that our roles were more important than anyone else's, but they were visible enough that maybe if you're going to be hypocritical, you wait a while. And it's not just Ifoma who feels frustrated by this corporate activism. A lot of big brands are being accused of hypocrisy, of publicly aligning themselves with BLM, while at the same time not treating their Black employees fairly. In the last several weeks, Black employees in practically every industry, retail, journalism, tech, are sharing their anecdotes of pay inequity, of dealing with racism and microaggressions in their workplace. And so Ifoma decided to share her experiences, too. She got on Twitter and posted a long thread about everything. And it went viral. But... I have not heard from a single person in leadership at that company. Meanwhile, Pinterest's CEO, Ben Silberman, wrote an internal memo that got leaked. He told employees, quote, What I've learned over the past few weeks is that parts of our culture are broken. Truthfully, I didn't understand just how much work we have to do. That's not an excuse. That's a failure in leadership. He goes on to say, quote, It's been devastating to hear the stories of Black employees who feel like they don't belong at Pinterest. Then he outlines an action plan, how the company is going to improve its representation and work on its understanding of systemic racism. When you saw that internal memo leaked, uh, the letter, Mm -hmm. what did you make of it? It's propaganda. I do public affairs. I know (laughs) I work with politicians. I know exactly the way you do something like this. You think about what a politician who has been embarrassed on the record would do in this moment, it, this is the playbook. What would an adequate response sound like? They need to make things right for me and for anyone else who is left under these circumstances. We need to be made whole financially. Earlier this week, Pinterest announced that it's going to conduct an independent review of its culture and practices when it comes to pay and how the company deals with complaints of discrimination. We also reached out to Pinterest about Ifoma's situation, and a spokesperson told us the company never wants anyone to feel the way Ifoma did while working at Pinterest. And quote, we're committed to immediately taking the actions that we've outlined to our employees, and we're actively pursuing this work. So this story is obviously just one person's experience at one tech company. But Ifoma felt like as a Black woman in a largely white industry, it was a struggle to be heard. And the reality is tech has been plagued with inclusion problems for a long time now. 
My name's Natasha Tiku. I'm a tech culture writer for The Washington Post. I recently called up Natasha, a reporter who's written about tech's diversity problem. She says for the last few weeks, she's been in touch with Black tech employees who've been skeptical of their company's statements of support with Black Lives Matter and their promises of change. You know, I think that the reason that the employees were willing to talk to me, which was, you know, a kind of personal risk to themselves, is because they acutely feel like this moment, unless pressure is put on these Mm -hmm. companies consistently, um, it could just end up being a branding opportunity for them. And attention could very easily switch to, you know, back to just coronavirus Mm -hmm. or, you know, the next topic, the election. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they've been through this before. Uh, Companies have professed that, you know, this is an diversity is an urgent issue um, at other times in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, So they are trying to make sure that this time it ends up differently. And the next time, you know, they're not the only black person Mm -hmm. in the room. Okay. So I know that for a long time, tech companies were really reluctant to share numbers around diversity and their breakdown of the workforce. And then that changed back in 2014. Can you tell us what happened and and what it revealed? So uh, a number of news organizations, um, uh, some local ones in California and Mm -hmm. also CNN, had tried to persuade tech companies to release this data that they have to give to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission every year that looks at the, you know, if you're a company with more than 100 employees, that looks at the demographic breakdown of your your workforce. And companies like Google and others, they fought them. Um, Mm. They tried to argue that releasing that data would infringe on their trade secrets. But I I think, you know, there was a confluence of pressure and that pressure led to tech companies, um, you know, kind of getting the transparency points by putting that information out there on their websites. And then, you know, once Google did it and Facebook and Twitter, um, then it became, you know, sort of uh, the expected gesture for tech companies to do. Okay. Well, then what did it show once they revealed the numbers? Yeah, the numbers were really bad. And that's, you know, um, why they wanted to hide the data. Um, Like take Facebook, for example, Um, Mm -hmm. in its first diversity report, there were 2% black people in all of Facebook, 2% black people in senior leadership. Now, if you look at Facebook in 2019, there are only 3.8% of black people in all of Facebook and 3.1% in senior leadership. Now, tech companies mention, and I think very fairly, that they've also in that time period grown a lot. So the fact that the percentage change, um, you know, may not look significant doesn't mean that they've not made serious progress and prioritized this in their hiring goals. Yeah. Well, still, like, why is it so hard for black people and people of color to get ahead in tech or really even to get their foot in the door? I think that, you know, this has really become, obviously, it's a moment of reckoning for all of corporate America, um, you know, to actually confront racism in the workplace. But I think for the tech industry, which has made this a talking point of theirs for the past six years, Mm -hmm. it's also an opportunity to look at the way that they approach diversity and the way that maybe that has prevented change. For example, often the focus is on the building a pipeline of talent. And that kind of defers, you know, 
know, the responsibility, you know, to making sure that, you know, uh, organizations that help girls in STEM, mm-hmm. uh, you know, have a little bit of funding um, and they're not looking around to kind of diversify their networks. It's almost as though they don't know or believe that talented, underrepresented minorities exist now. Right. So it sounds like for a long time now, tech has been focused on the pipeline and not necessarily widening their own networks and giving more support and access to people of color who are already qualified. Exactly. Exactly. There was also a focus on unconscious bias. Um, Mm. You know, this again was like corporate America wide, but in the tech industry, you know, it really allowed hiring managers, um, you know, well-intentioned people to discuss the issue without confronting racism itself in a way. Um, You know, even the terms diversity, unconscious bias, it's sort of, you know, like those euphemisms have proven to be particularly dangerous, I think, um, Mm. in in just kind of like skirting the issue, even as you're setting up trainings and stuff. It's an easy way to check the boxes, but not necessarily do the hard work. Exactly. And the same thing with the diversity reports, you know, the focus became on looking at the reports and the sense of transparency um, when, you know, we don't really know how much are you investing in the actual cost Mm. of hiring executives who are focused on diversity and inclusion, on reaching out to different schools than your usual uh, Stanford, Mm. MIT, Carnegie Mellon, etc. So what do you think it'll take for Black employees and people of color within these tech companies to feel like their employers are taking their grievances seriously? you know, one signal that they're looking for that companies are taking this seriously is a real change in the makeup of senior leadership. Um, and, you know, at the core of that, that's like a willingness to relinquish some power mm-hmm. and give some real power to, uh, you know, not the usual cohort of people. Right. Um, I think investing heavily in, you know, not only donating to social justice causes, but reaching out to Uh, black potential tech workers who are already out there in the market. I think, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like confronting racism, not just, you know, unconscious bias. I think having those difficult conversations and uh, treating it like they would any other company priority. Because the truth is, if a company doesn't treat inclusion and equity as a priority, then no matter how many black or brown employees it brings in the door, it won't be long before they look for the exit. All right. That is all for this week's show. As always, if you want to reach out, you can hit us up at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. And if you want to sign up for our newsletter, which I don't know why you wouldn't want to, you can sign up at marketplace.org slash comfort. This is Uncomfortable is me, Rima Grace, Megan Dietrich, Haley Hirschman, Peter Balanon-Rosen, and Daisy Palacios. Our intern is Daniel Martinez. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Drew Jostad is our engineer. Editing this week by Eliza Mills. Satara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. Deb Clark is the senior vice president and general manager of Marketplace. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right. I will catch y'all soon. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. 
So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy.